0: Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walden. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D-Love podcast will revolutionize
1: your life. Welcome to the 3 and D-Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Thank you, Michael.
0: All right, Michael, I'm going to address this right off the bat here because uh, it's going to be obvious when we get into this and I don't hear Ryan's laughter that we're we're short one tonight. Uh, Ryan uh, wasn't able to join us, so we're the 2&D the podcast. Does that work? Uh, the
1: 2&D. Well, like- much like the Suns or the Lakers or the Mavs or the Sixers, we're down a superstar, so somehow we're going to have to persevere. I don't know. Maybe I'll be – uh, I'll be Seth Curry and you can be Tobias Harris. Let's well, do for that.
0: To, to D. Maybe I'll be, maybe that fits for, for Capella. Yeah.
1: Oh, perfect. Excellent.
0: <laughs> but you're going to, you're going to have to play an important role here in the monologue Michael, which is that we need your laughter because I feed off the energy of Ryan's oh, laughter in the monologue. So, uh, all right, so I'll do my best. It's a, it's a lot shout out to Josiah
1: for the laughter commentary. <laughs> all right, well, here we go.
0: Uh, okay, NBA fans, the NBA playoffs are living up to the hype as usual as we enter the final week of round one. All the Western Conference matchups are neck and neck, and we could be in store for some great finishes. And if we had our way, we could probably go ahead and just call an end to round one in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I we're <laughs> ready to wrap that one
1: up. Uh, I, I think I think the Celtics agree.
0: Yes, because – I mean, the Wizards won tonight, so they're prolonging it, but I don't see that one. I guess if Embiid's not healthy, maybe they could steal another one, but I do feel they're, uh, it's a matter of time for, for the Wizards.
1: Well, yeah, friend of the pod, Kevin Petermeyer, observed that, that that series seemed to have Gentleman's Sweep written all over it, which is really the kindest type of sweep, I think.
0: <laughs> we'll obviously be touching on the Embiid injury and the other injuries as we go along here. Uh, but the Blazers have the Nuggets right where they want them as this series is mirroring the matchup from two years ago. We are all tied up two, two to two. Again, if you're new to the NBA as a fan, the Blazers beat the Nuggets in seven games in the conference semifinals two years ago. Just want to make sure everyone has their history, and knows the context of that. Uh, I know we're kind of kind of living in the past D, there.
1: But. D, I've, I was watching these games, the last few games, I was wondering, do you think Cantor actually becomes playable if he wrecks his shoulder again. <laughs> Cause, cause the way I was looking so far. I mean, I'm not sure he's going to see the court again.
0: You know, I had mixed feelings about, about that. Um, maybe that is the inspiration that they need to draw on. But uh, I know Hollis Jefferson is, is sort of adding a different element and some of, <laughs> some of Cantor's shortcomings were pretty glaring there for a little bit, but having someone who can rebound the ball, I'm just saying he brings, he brings some value he can score around the basket, he can rebound the ball, but apparently Stotts and probably everyone else, including you, I guess, thinks that those shortcomings are a little bit too much to overcome. Is that what you're thinking?
1: Yeah, I think two years ago, we, he wasn't guarding the MVP, so that, that <laughs> things have changed a bit. <laughs> it's one of those, it's not me, it's you. It's,
0: yes, well said, it's not me, it's you. Well, the Blazers were on the edge of a rally in Game 3, but journeyman Austin Rivers made – four three-pointers in the final six minutes. I think he had 16 points in the fourth. But the Blazers did respond in game four, led by Norman Powell, who scored 29 points. And thankfully, Rivers reverted to the player who we know has played on like 15 NBA teams over the course of his career. So <laughs> nice to see that his hot streak did not continue. Although that was uh, oh, that was just... That, you know how we talked about, like we talked about with uh, Zach Crane, when you can live with the superstars killing you and i think the way zach crane put it is with when the general stabs you in the heart that's that's okay that's one thing but it's with the other guys the more of the peripheral guys the brian shaws the bobby hansons as as blazer fans know him austin rivers we can't put him in that category yet because the stakes weren't as high uh but we 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 were like right getting there and each one of those three pointers was just a, a dagger in the heart of blazer fans
1: yeah i mean it's like it's like omar i mean spoiler alert but it's like omar <laughs> who just just wrecks everybody in five seasons of the wire and then little canard comes across and right at the end of the year right at the end of the season and and whacks him i mean it's just when austin <laughs> rivers is hitting. Is, i don't know that might be no that's a, a dated good, reference well, but um, it's but, a good wire but i do hope it uh i think any reference to the wire is a good wire yes, reference. we need but more that's of just those me uh my favorite part of the Austin Rivers, you know, threes brigade actually was that I think the next day, Doc Rivers, the off maligned on the 3D podcast, Doc Rivers got asked a question about role players performing in the playoffs and he got to reference, he name checked his own son's yes. performance in the Blazers game. Yes, he did. He's, I think he said something along the lines of, well, I know a role player in Denver and Portland last night who performed pretty well. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, that, that did ring pretty, pretty cool to me. Well, that's funny because he's always downplayed.
0: Well, when he coached Rivers, of course, when well, coached Rivers, that's weird to say, but when he coached his own son, Austin, he, whatever he would be asked about the situation, he would always downplay it because I remember he was interviewed after the third quarter and he, I think Austin was playing well and they asked him something about that and he's like, well, I've got 12 sons out there. They're all my sons out there. So now that he's got some separation... <laughs> He can be a father cheering on his son, which I'm sure he probably appreciates because uh, that's kind of a complicated situation, you know, coaching your son yeah. in the NBA, yeah. I would think.
1: I don't think he's giving PG any shout outs, though. <laughs> he's playing pretty well. <laughs> that's, so.
0: that's right. There could be a, like a whole mini series with the, the Rivers family and the whole Clippers drama. That's a, I think that's a Netflix special at some point. Someday. Uh, but speaking of the 76ers, they are. Proving themselves worthy of a number one seed as they they've been making quick work of the wizards. I actually wrote that line before the wizards won tonight. Cause I, and I was expecting it to be a sweep, but uh, Westbrook has been a bit banged up, but I mean, ex, experts are in agreement that this is not altering the series in any way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mentioned Embiid, but I do have to point out that he took a shot at the Wizards coaching staff for not double teaming him when he had his big guy. I think he had 30 some points, 36 points in 28 minutes in game three. Now that is unfair to Scott Brooks. I mean, you don't see me ragging on Scott Brooks. Never. All all I said was that he should be fired in the first month of the season, but
1: exactly. Well, I think didn't Embiid go on to criticize him for playing hard and, Westbrook and Durant together, but not staggering their minutes in the 14 playoffs. I mean, wasn't that a thing or is that? I'm not sure if Embiid is
0: a historian like that, but um, maybe he is. That's it. That's it. That's funny. Um, Boston put up a little more fight than expected in game three as Jason Tatum had another 15 point game and the Celtics win. There is four stars in that series, and unfortunately for Tatum, three of them play on the nets. It just seems he is, uh, he is doing it alone, and uh, last night did not go so well. You can only carry that team for so long. I mean, Kemba was out, too, with the knee injury.
1: Well, and Robert Williams and Kemba are both projected to be, I think, out for the next game. I mean, that, that one seems like it's all but done at this point. There should be a mercy killing there, maybe a 10-run rule, whatever you want to call it in the first round of the playoffs. But, you know, with, ever since Jalen Brown went out, I mean, I think the Celtics knew this season was over. They seemed to mail it in. I mean, I'm surprised they even wanted to be competitive in the in the play-in tournament in some ways. But, you know, that, that series has been interesting to me just to get a feel for what Brooklyn – Sort of looks like. I mean, obviously, it's been been often reported, right? They played eight games together, the big three, kind of getting a sense of what they f- look and feel like, and they sure do make it look easy at times. Yeah. Um, and I think you know that one is to me the most interesting because you look forward to the second round sort of matchup where it's like stuff's getting real in the Eastern Conference with. The Bucks again, who sort of was, was considered sort of the most interesting first-run series is going to be Bucks Heat, and the Bucs just yeah. absolutely crushed them. I mean, besides going 5-for-31 from three in game one and winning in overtime, they absolutely just, like, truck-stopped them, right? It's just, I mean, it was just – it was absolute a, a, a killing. And to exercise those types of demons from what happened in the playoffs last year, I mean, it just seems really an interesting series heading into the second round. Um, with the nets and the bucks now Derek I'm curious what's your what's your take as you head into that series I mean it can't start soon enough yeah. I'm really excited for it it's a bit of appointment viewing if you're a basketball fan but simultaneously you know it, it, to me the the perspective of that series seems to be coming together that it's going to be super competitive but I I don't know it feels like it's one of those things where the bucks play out of their head. Sweep the heat based on expectations being that it was going to be competitive, and then all of a sudden we're going to be confused when it's like a four-one Nets win here in like a week and a half. I mean, what are you feeling? one Nets. <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I just watching the Nets, like time and time again, I just continue to think how scary playing those three guys together are. Yeah, well, and I'll, I'll take a step back quick because as much as we're taking shots
0: at the first round of the Eastern Conference. And I actually had some. I heard someone tell me or argue with me that uh, round one should go back to five games, which I disagree with. But again, as we talk about maybe some some mercy killing on some of these rounds, some of these we probably would be better off with five games. But but these this second round in the Eastern Conference, we've got some intriguing matchups, and I don't think anything will compare to how good this matchup is with the Bucks and the Nets. And and I do think I think it will live up to the hype. I think it will be. A really good series. Um, I think the Bucks. they're, you know, we we joke about what what constitutes a big three, but let's say their big three are are really rolling. I I think. I mean, there's issues about the supporting cast. Do they have enough? I think when you know Lopez is doing his job and Forbes is hitting shots, you know, they're they're okay. Like they have the talent that they need. I think if we're gonna go ahead and just really delve into that one, I will say that if you if you compare big threes, if we're just for the sake of the argument, calling Milwaukee a big three, the Nets do have a better big three. Um, and I think even their supporting cast is maybe a little better. Um, and maybe even their coaching is a little bit better, too. Um, so <laughs> I have a feeling that it this could be a really that talent wise, we have a good matchup. And if the bucks are, if whatever they're doing here, if Miami is as bad as we think, and then like you said, it's just going to be Nets domination. Maybe that could be the case. But I'm holding out hope for a really competitive series. Uh, but certainly, I I would have to predict the Nets.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny. I don't think, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a Nets, you know, triumphant victory. Something for one, four, two. Even I think it seems like it's going to go seven. It just it wouldn't shock me to watch the everyone be skeptical of the Bucks have the series against the Heat just be such a, you know, again a curb stomping here and then public opinion just tends to swing so far the other direction forgetting some of the warts that exists in a in a player like Giannis's game. I mean, he's so dominant, he looked so great in that series even without scoring necessarily to his normal levels. And simultaneously, he's had some troubles in the playoffs at times. Now, the great thing about the series, right? I mean, we've talked about styles make fights. You know, the Bucks, maybe being less talented, they do have three guys that, as good as any other compilation of talent, could potentially defend, at least give a shot at defending um, the three stars with the Nets, and and they also have a superstar in Giannis that is is well suited to really attack the defensive warts of the nets i mean right they don't have the the personnel that would you traditionally expect to be able to build a wall and stop his penetration his continual penetration and so i mean that gets me excited to see how it all plays out it's going to be a really fun one but again if it ends up being a shorter series than we expect i wouldn't be shocked i mean i just think that's the type of team the nets are um but, you know, zooming out a little bit, it is a really fascinating conversation about the Eastern Conference because of how bad the first round has been. But I, they might have the three most likely title contenders mm. like in the NBA based on just how everything has shaken out. And we'll talk about some of those things, I think, here in a little bit. But it is pretty wild that whoever comes out of the East may be the favorite in the finals. Mm.
0: Now let me ask you to just to touch on the other potential series of, if- if the Hawks uh, continue what they're doing and if Embiid is out for an extended period of time, are we looking at the Hawks being in the Eastern conference finals? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man. Nate McMillan is really just working some miracles. Um No, it's that series has been interesting because I think you just realize how good, and I'm speaking about Nick's Hawks, but you realize how good of an offensive player you have to be in the playoffs, um, or how balanced your team's offensive attack needs to be, Other, otherwise, your offense is going to be exposed, right? And, and I say that because watching these last few games, if you look at a player like Julius Randle, who, who, who's probably going to be second or third team All NBA, who averaged, I think, 37 a game and three games against the Hawks in the regular season, and he's been absolutely like shut out I mean, the equivalent of superstar shut out here yeah. in this series so far. And I think because of the type of player he is, because he, there's not a lot of actions used to shake him free, right? He's much more of sort of this ISO one-on-one throwback type of offensive player, and he, that's that's been really great for this season. But when you when he becomes the focal point over a five, six, seven game series, and now you know four games thus far, I mean the Hawks, again a middling defensive team, have been able to throw multiple double teams and triple teams. And because the rest of that supporting cast outside of Derrick Rose is so bad, I mean, for, for NBA playoff purposes, that offensive cast is so bad that Randall is just getting shut out. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really a travesty for how fun of a season those Knicks have had and how fun that regular season team was to watch the way they, the Hawks are sort of handling them this far. And so, yeah. uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if, if, they do go into the second round how the Hawks fare against a Sixers team uh, And what that Sixers Team looks like because again you're right I mean if Embiid is actually hurt which again Is sort of turning into a theme Not only of the regular season but now it seems like The playoffs. The last seven years
0: for him uh, <laughs> oh, I know,
1: Well it's for Embiid but like The rest of them yeah, I mean there's yes. so many guys yes, now yes, That are kind of right. coming in but it, You're right I mean The The Wizards were going hack a Simmons Tonight and like the Sixers didn't have an answer. I mean, they were you were going to Tobias Harris and ISO. I mean, that's just to me not a recipe for success. I mean, and that's why Embiid's ascendance this year has been so important, right? I mean, he's gonna probably be a second MVP. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna be, I guess, second team all NBA center in all likelihood, but really he's like a top three or four guy this year because of the way he's able to dominate games at all three levels of the offense and defensively, right? And if that doesn't exist you know they've built a team. Finally, you know Moir was able to execute a, a roster around Embiid that really supports his capabilities. Despite Simmons' limitations, the rest of the guys all really fit around him. And if you run into the second round, I mean, I don't think the Hawks would beat them necessarily, but it certainly becomes much more of a viable series, which you know allows the winner of Bucks, uh, Bucks, Nets, just sort of stroll into the finals. I mean, it, what a what a crazy turn of events, ultimately if i mean that is what ultimately occurs i mean i I hope Embiid is not hurt in the same way i hope luke is not as really ad comes back and cp can recover all these dudes that are so influential in their team's success i mean you want to see these full you know these guys at their full capabilities otherwise i kind of feel cheated at times yeah
0: no we need our stars we we need them healthy they're a big part of what makes this thing go uh i got to touch on something you said there michael do we need to give Brooks credit for the Hack Simmons strategy? Because I think I texted you during the game, I, you and Ryan, I was like, is this, is this a good thing to do when you're tied? I feel like most of the times, I'm sure there's exceptions, but it seems by and large when you're down and you want to catch up, at least that's when I see it most. But they did it when the game was tied, and there was three times he went to the line where he made one of two, and then he got the hard foul from Westbrook. So he may have missed both of those. I can't remember. But by and large, it seemed like it, it worked. Uh,
1: credit to Brooks. I don't know. I mean, we've got this coaching savant. He uh, Really, maybe he's come around. I mean, he took the Embiid criticism to heart, I think, and really decided to bring out all, you know, all, pull out all the stops.
0: <laughs> by the way, as you mentioned, Julius Randle, I did want to say, too, that... Uh, <laughs> His poor play. It is not for lack of trying because he is still jacking up the shots. I mean, the offense runs through him more or less anyway. So he's either creating or he's shooting. But that is some woeful uh, shooting numbers that he has had. And I have a lot. I had a line here. I know we're talking about the series, but I, I had the line which is that the Knicks have not had an answer for how to sh- slow down Trey Young and the Hawks' offense. I would say that Coach Thibodeau looks increasingly agitated and frustrated on the sidelines, but he's had that look for the better part of twelve years now. So uh, he really it's the has. perpetual, whether <laughs> they're winning or not, it uh, doesn't matter. But
1: <laughs> I know I think, I think sometimes he's so pissed he's going to bring like Lou Aldang out of retirement just to just to come in and play like forty-eight minutes. It is. I mean, Rose. I haven't. I feel like
0: the Knicks. I have not seen play a lot this year. I've seen that Rose has put up some good numbers, but man he he looks good he has been the the lone bright spot for them in the series and still a a great story to see him playing so well
1: well and that is i mean it is a again it's a fun series i mean i think watching trey again i still have some trey skepticism and maybe i'm just you know having a hard time moving off my initial opinion but uh, you know he he has had a nice series right and you see him making the right decisions at these all these different inflection points when he's running pick and roll, right? And 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 how much the defense is bending towards him, and he's getting these other guys involved, whether it's lobs to Capella or kicks to Hunter and Herder and all these different dudes. I mean, they they have some serious weapons, um, and it helps the type of team that they've been able to build around him. Again, when you when you build some of these 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 rosters, you take out some of the key cogs. They don't work as well, but they they function really well around you know, the the guy when they're at the peak of their powers and watching the Hawks do that, again, it's just it's just been fun. And frankly, I mean, watching that game one where uh, Young hit the floater to win it in MSG and all the back and forth. I mean, obviously, some of the fan behavior has been out of line and inappropriate, but just the atmosphere for that series in MSG. Now with game five coming back, um, again, I'm really fascinated to see if Thibodeau and, and the Knicks can sort of, shake something loose here to make this a bit more of a series. Otherwise it does seem like there's not a lot of answers there. So um that, that one will be, be interesting, but it may not be kind of long for the round.
0: Yeah. I think the Hawks are just, they're just too much. I mean, it's, it's a really talented starting five and I feel like they have some firepower off the bench. Um, I mean, just Williams and uh, Gallinari and, and Kevin Hooter and, I was it "Hooters" name wrong. Um, <laughs> Solomon Hill is a big man, so it's just a it's a good eight nine man rotation that they have there, and it's not. And getting DeAndre Hunter back, it seems like that was very timely too. Yeah, and obviously Bogdanovich has hit another level of his caliber play too. Uh, you did. I got to touch on this quickly because you mentioned the situation with the fans. Uh, We have had several incidents now. We had, I think it started with maybe throwing popcorn on Westbrook, and then we had the spitting incident where a fan spit on Trey Young. We've had uh, Jean-Marie instead said he was was heckled and there were were racial taunts, uh, just horrible stuff. And then last night, uh, Kyrie Irving, who uh, next to I would say Alex Rod- Rodriguez and Roger Goodell is like the, the third villain for, uh, or he's the biggest villain since those guys, I would say, to Boston sports fans. But obviously there's lines uh, that have been crossed here. It's one thing to, to you know, boo a guy and dislike him for basketball reasons uh, for how his tenure ended there with the Celtics. But, you know, they threw a water bottle at him when he's going to the locker room, almost hit him. The FM was arrested tonight in the Wizards 76ers game, someone ran onto the court and was tackled by a security guard. And fans got to get it together. I know even Durant mentioned this in his post-game pre- press conference last night. He's like, I know people have been confined for the last 18 months and there is a, an impact to all that. Maybe this, this is just a larger issue that we're dealing with in society right now. We don't need to delve into that. But... Uh, but, but the fans, we need them to, to pull it together here. It's like, want to take them down. And the, the counselor in me wants to just say, um, is this really about the basketball here? This behavior, is there something, is there some unresolved <laughs> issues here that we need to deal with?
1: No, it, it you're right. Nail in the head, man. And I think it's just, it it is such a disappointing thing to see after it's been so long to the place where we get in person with fans nba basketball to finally get it and to see this type of behavior just it's unacceptable and i hope it does change and i don't i don't know what's causing it i mean i you could kind of i i I could you know wager some guesses i suppose but um kind of regardless you know there's no excuse for any of these things that are going on and um you know, I, I'm glad that there's some law enforcement kind of processes going on with a number of these incidents. You hope that some of those enforcements will change some behavior. But, you know, by and large, you know, it'll be interesting to see if the league ends up taking some some other actions, if these things continue to kind of progress, yeah. right? If, if this stuff happens more and more, you're going to have to evaluate how stadiums are configured and, and access to fans and all these different dynamics where, again, you know, whether it's the fan stuff or – uh, there's a lot of media discourse going on around access to players and some of the challenges that have existed there. And, and, and again, like this is a business, this is very much access and conversations need to need to exist. Like fans need to be able to connect with players, whether it's in person at games or um, through the media, through reading, you know, articles and quotes and the whole nine yards. And without that, obviously, there's there's a little less emotional connection, and you're just rooting for laundry, as Seinfeld says, right? And and so, you know, the there needs to be some balance there. And I don't know what the answer is, certainly, but it it's something that we need to continue to to talk about and hopefully evolve from. Because just again, it's just it's just such a joke to to see all these different things going. I mean, at a certain point, you're just like, man, these guys. Just you know, let's let us let us have like you know no holds barred, like malice at the palace 2.0 know, no, no ch- consequences, just to prove a point. Yeah, no, I
0: <laughs> totally thought about that. I was like, because if we're thinking if, if things escalate, like what is the the next what is the highest level? And my mind just went to that to that place of the the Pistons Pacers brawl, which now was 17 years ago when we didn't have these other societal but we're always having societal issues, but not the kind of predicament that we've been dealing with for a while here. <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> but it seems like they are they are setting the tone that, um, I mean, when you do this, you are going to get banned from the arena. The guy that threw the water bottle at Kyrie, I mean, he's he was arrested, charged with assault. Um, so hopefully just the, the message is going to get sent that there's going to be some severe consequences for doing that. And at least, I mean, generally speaking, in terms of i mean we, they, there is security measures that are in place there and yeah they're beefing up security so hopefully this is just uh, a little phase that will not continue here but uh strange strange subplot to these uh <laughs> i know
1: nba playoffs uh, yeah it is it, it it is such a weird deal but uh hopefully it, it shakes free yeah um all right michael dealer's
0: choice uh What's uh, what other series we've touched on a couple? Well,
1: I'm I'm different? just curious, D. As you you know come down the stretch here with with Blazers Nuggets, obviously it's been a bit of a tale of two series, right? Whether it's the wins or the losses for whichever team, uh, there's obviously some, some threads. I think the bench performance has been pretty indicative, uh, which makes you kind of leads you to believe to a certain degree that the starters and the stars particularly have played each other to a bit of a stalemate. I mean, what's what's your feeling here? Now that we approach a three-game set with, you know, the, the Nuggets having home court, how do you feel heading into, the, heading into tomorrow night and then going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. We've
0: seen, I mean, two games. That game two was a blowout for Denver. You know, we blew them out last game. Uh, I know Malone came out and said that the Nuggets were soft and... Uh, It it was actually I thought they were a little bit soft in game one and then they came out and they they were aggressive and physical and they bullied us around a little bit. So I feel the Nuggets are going to be they're going to give us everything, everything they have in game five. Um, You know, we obviously we need we need our part of it will come down to is how well the stars do, because Joker was not himself in game In Game Four, it was an uncharacteristically off game for him. Uh, We've talked about CJ, even though his numbers have been still pretty good overall. There was games where like, are we? We just need a little more from CJ, and you know, we can't have obviously. I mean, Lillard, interestingly enough, we say he's been he carried us in the first few games, but um, he didn't have his best game either, and we just had guys like you know Powell, obviously being the guy that stood out as having having a huge game. Uh, so we we need like we need everybody to do their part. I feel like we have to really play well to win to steal one of these on the road, which obviously we we have to do now. Um, when I talk about a couple of years ago, I know it's it's different it's a different team. the Joker is a, is a different player, but I kind of feel like, My gut is that Denver's, without going through my analysis of it, I would just say my gut is that Denver's going to win game five and we're going to come back home and we're going to see a game seven and then anything can happen in a game seven when the pressure's on, the tension's there.
1: You get CJ going for 45 again? Yeah, so
0: I'm basically – I'm looking for a repeat of a couple years ago.
1: Interesting. No, I think you're right. I mean, it is going to come down to – again like i think making shots and i think it's what's so fascinating about Malone's presser after the game 4 loss which you're you're totally nailing that it's so weird when you have a lillard game where i think he went 1 for 10 and they win by i mean they won by 20 but i mean they might as well have won by 50 in a lot of ways it was just kind of going away right um but Seth Partnow he's a really great follow on on twitter he he had this conversation just talking about you know the playoffs. I think are often. I think you said the playoffs are often referred to kind of uh, how much someone wants it. Is often <laughs> that's the narrative around wins and losses, <laughs> and it's in reality wins and losses are much more about who makes shots and who doesn't. Right. I mean, Mike Malone gives a Michael Malone gives a press conference in Game Four where they get just this, the, this blown out the doors uh and in game three they had great effort right and they also went 20 of 38 from three and (laughs) and and austin rivers as discussed right was five for ten from three and all these different dudes were making shots right and they were shooting um i mean they shot 52 percent from three and anytime you do that you're you're gonna probably most likely win right unless you're the, the the mavs in game three so I just I think that's going to be an interesting dynamic again sort of a make or miss league sometimes and in these smaller sample sizes that tends to be the case. I do like some of the rotational changes the Blazers have made. I mean I, I get pretty excited about what that looks like coming down the stretch and I also think Lillard as much as he's carried the load for the Blazers at times it has seemingly been a bit more balanced where i just am curious about Jokic's ability to continue to keep it up now again he's played so many minutes i mean this whole run last year but this does feel like a bit of a different level of effort for him because of how limited they are in their guard rotation particularly i mean he's just handling the ball all like oh my i mean it's like every possession it feels like right unless it's like composite kicking to Porter on a pin down it's like it's running through Jokic and so I do have some concern for the Nuggets from that perspective and I think that gives hope in turn to the Blazers I mean there's a I think if I was a betting man regardless of the home court it does seem like the Blazers have have worked out some things they had some strategies defensively that they've now kind of evolved on uh and so it's, it should be a fun series here down the stretch and and tomorrow night will be very telling, you know. But again, it's like a make-or-miss league in a lot of ways. And yeah. if if the Nuggets have another 20-for-38 game in them, then it's an entirely different conversation. Right.
0: I mean, even Porter Jr., who we would say is the second-best player on the Nuggets at this point, has had all-star caliber play. But he's streaky, too. I mean, we even talked you know, he's going to He would say he's going to destroy the Blazers. But he can get erratic at times. And so there's no... You know, the security of Joker isn't dominating the game, there's no guarantee that these other guys are going to are going to step up. And you can say that for a lot of players. But um, but uh, I, I actually I'm feeling pretty good. I did. You know, after game two you're wor- or game three, I was worried that, gosh, have we lost all the momentum here, lost two in a row. It, obviously it's over if the Nuggets win game four. So it was just fun to get some life back into the series. When you win game one and then you think, all right, we got home court. I think, you know, who knows, maybe we can – I think traditionally I was saying we could win in six and I joked that we could win in five, but then you lose two and you're like – it's kind of deflating. So just to see them them rally and play so well in that kind of do-or-die game um, was great. I got to – when you mentioned – The whole thing about who wants it more being like this great overgeneralization and really like (laughs) devoid, just very surface level, devoid of any like real substance. It always reminds me of when, it's a little segue here, but when LeBron won his first title and they beat Oklahoma City and I remember Mark, no, excuse me, uh, when they they first, yeah, no, no, (laughs) I'm all over the map here. I should have thought of the story before I started telling it, but uh, Mark Cuban went on Skip Bayless' show on ESPN because Skip Bayless said that LeBron wanted it more than Durant, and then Cuban responded by breaking down the whole series the year before, and because because Bayless was saying, oh well, De- well Nowitzki and Dallas wanted it more when they beat Miami, you know, they wanted it more than LeBron. And basically, Marquis was like, this is everything that is wrong with sports journalism, is that you rely on generalities with actually no in-depth analysis whatsoever. And it basically that came down to him trying to... uh, (laughs) Put Bayless in a corner of exposing that he didn't understand the concept of zone defense and how the Mavericks' zone defense was effective against against LeBron. So, anyway, when you brought up that point, I I, I'm on board with that 100%. Fumbled that story a little bit, but you saw where I was going with that.
1: Well, no, I think you're right. And to, to, to change the subject a little bit, but related to that idea, I mean, if it was about effort and just wanting to, I mean, I think Dylan Brooks at this point would be like a four time <laughs> NBA t- champion. I mean, that guy plays like a maniac. I mean, that's what's been so fun about the Jazz Grizzlies series so far, right? Is you're watching this series with these two young you know, good players, and Morant and Brooks particularly, and then a few of those other fringy guys at the Grizzlies we've talked about. But, I mean, that series is so fun. I mean, they're totally outmatched. And and the depth and the the versatility that a team like the Utah Jazz is the one seed has, I mean, is going to ultimately prove to be too much for them, yeah. I think. But it's just – you watch it with the effort and the tenacity that both Ja and Brooks plays with. I mean, I just – I think when they beat Golden State in that play-in tournament, I thought they'd be a bit of a handful. But man, it's 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 certainly more than even that. And those two guys just bring it every night. Yeah. And and honestly, I mean, the Grizzlies. You hope Brooks continues to evolve as a player because um, he certainly gives a shit and he certainly plays hard and he certainly has some serious skills offensively and defensively. Um, but it's, it's he's still, you know, I think I I was watching the the game three uh as game four is going on right now but i was watching game three and you just i think he single-handedly brought them back into the game and tied it and then he missed he happened then he proceeded to miss like three straight like contested threes and it was sort of like you live by the brooks die by the brooks uh and and that's sort of where they're at as a franchise because jaw still can't shoot too so it's basically jaw going at Rudy Gobert, which is never a really great recipe, even though John Morant's willingness to go challenge Gobert at the rim like three times a game is just amazing. It's like so fun to watch. I, I hope he gets him one of these times. Um but but both Brooks and and Morant, they, they just care so much, right? Yeah. And, and so that series has been fun. I mean, have you do you have any takeaways from that series that's I mean, are you hopeful for the Jazz going into the presumably the second round as they face either the Clippers or the Mavs yeah and I think I was going to say as a side
0: point there I think there is something to be said for like willing your team with with heart and hustle to to another level but I think at the the end of the day (laughs) no but at the end of the day right it does come down to execution and then you see the difference there that the Jazz they they play with more poise they move the ball a little better like they're they're just a little more patient they they execute on on a little bit of a higher level because you could think in some ways argue that there's commensurate talent that that Memphis has. I mean that that's they've got some offensive firepower. I mean they're maybe they have more flaws. It would be a stretch to say maybe they have the same amount of talent, but there's talent. But there's a higher level of execution with the Jazz. So I think they're gonna. I don't know what is the score of that game tonight. Are you tracking?
1: Yeah, I mean it's good. The, the Jazz are up. They're on like a ten two run right now. So they're up eight. Uh, With like two minutes left, Conley's hit a couple shots. Bogdanovich hit a couple shots, but that's the that's the unique thing, right? I mean, they have Donovan Mitchell as their sort of lead sled dog, right? This like primary playmaker, but I mean, he can shoot it. I mean, is Donovan Mitchell just John Morant with like a jump shot and then like a seven three Frenchman behind him? I mean, what's the difference in some ways, right? I mean, Jock needs to grow defensively and he needs to grow shooting the rock. But it's not like Donovan Mitchell's exactly a flawless player. Um, He's really great. I mean, he 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 strikes a really good balance between getting to the rim and shooting a jumper, and and he's really worked on his jump shot as he's evolved as and grown in the league. Now here in I think year four, but it helps to have Rudy Gobert behind you, right? I mean, it helps to have a generational defensive rim. Rim protector standing behind you, right? Their entire offense works around this. You saw it in game one when Gobert gets got hurt. You saw it when Favors comes in and and, and gives Gobert a break. I mean, it's like open season on the rim comparatively, at least to when Gobert's on the court. And and their entire offense and defense is built around Gobert. I mean, that's the credit that that Gobert gets is where it's really fair. I mean, they have Conley, you have Mitchell, you have Bogdanovich, O'Neal. Clarkson you have all these different angles right you have all these guys that can really let it fly uh and get and, and the ball just kind of ping 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 pings around which is so fun but also like that's just sort of how they're built um and so it's a, it's it's going to be interesting i think going into this next round to see how they 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 play against both dallas or la to be really honest yeah. i mean th- those teams um are in a bit of a dogfight, though it does seem like it may be tipping the other direction towards the Clippers, but, uh, you know, Utah is just, I think they're going to be too much to handle, but it is, it's a fun, its a been a fun series, really, to, to kind of be excited about what Memphis is doing there, and I think for this, again, for the sake of the league, I just hope they continue to grow. Yeah.
0: Well, gosh, I'm thinking, too, in, in the Western Conference, you have now Chris Paul has the injuries actually looking a little bit better, um, so if he keeps recovering, maybe Phoenix you know, they're going to be right there. If Lakers, if Davis is probably going to miss game five, it sounds like. We know LeBron's only what, 82%. I forget what, what we're measuring him. It's changing from game to game. But I just had a thought after even the Jazz won game three. I was like, is this, is this there for the taking for them? The Clippers, now they're rallying. So maybe if they if they hit their stride. Um, They they could be a contender, but it's like it feels like there's it's starting to see that there is a path for the Jazz to get to the NBA finals. It's it's it felt like it was far fetched that these were overachievers and that, you know, the the top teams that were going to hit their stride. But if they're depleted injury wise, could be there for the taking for the Jazz.
1: No, it's, you're totally right, but I think the same logic applies to basically any of these like five or six teams in the Western Conference. I mean, I think if anything, what we've learned is that the Nuggets-Blazers series, as fun as it's been, it's competitive, as it's probably the most likely series to go for the full seven. Neither of those teams are going to be long for the playoffs. It just doesn't seem like they have the, they have the firepower. Obviously, you know, the 1-8... Matchup the Grizzlies are sort of going to go away, but besides those three teams, the other five all seemingly have these viable paths to the finals, and it doesn't. They don't. None of them seem far fetched, right? I mean, if Paul comes back and continues to improve, I mean, I think at sixteen points last night, you know, the shoulder at least he seems to be able to work his way around it a little bit better than he had been in games two and three yeah. where I think he was averaging six points a game yeah. in those two games can't even dribble with um, his with his right hand I mean I know right I mean that that's the crazy thing and all of a sudden he's, he's shooting some threes I mean he didn't make any but he's really he's getting to that little fadeaway elbow jumper that he's so deadly at and at least that's enough to sort of keep the defense honest and then he gets to do all his other Chris Pauly things where he steals a passer mark Gasol with a minute and a half left right I mean that's <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that a guy like CP does yeah. Where he sort of blitzes Gasol at, at the top of the key and basically like faints into a jump and then just steals the pass as it comes out of yeah, Gasol's hand. The crafty veteran he basically like climb the climb the ladder on a seven footer. Yeah, his little like five ten mighty mighty mouth. So, <laughs> I mean, Phoenix has that right. You have Utah, which we've just covered, right. You have the four or five series, which I, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. But it's to me one of the most interesting series is outside of Luca's injury is to kind of see how the Clippers and the Mavs come down the stretch here being also in a 2-2 series. And it's been very much the tale of two series, whether it was the, the first two Mavs wins or the vice versa, the, the last two Clippers wins. And then obviously you have the Lakers on the other side with a lot of question marks. But, you know, outside, you know, obviously LeBron is still recovering, as he said, but he also is catching lob dunks off the backboard, right? He's also like going <laughs> in ISO mode. And, and working, you know, Jay Crowder's face. I mean, it, it just, I, I can't imagine we're not going to see like 2016 LeBron James and the Cavaliers against the golden state warriors, like finals performance here where he just runs like 50 pick and rolls. All he does is just walk the ball up the court and he just absolutely owns the offense time and time again. Uh, and then sort of continues to pick his spots defensively. And that feels like what's coming. Um, and so, again, I just think it's a really fun time for the Western conference, despite some of the imbalance that's occurred. I mean, that's the really weird thing is like this, this Mavs Clippers series has been really fun, but also like not really high stakes or it's not really high pressure, whatever the word you want to use to describe it. It's not like it's all these games coming down to buzzer beaters and last second shots and all these high leverage situations. But the chess match that's sort of occurring, watching Doncic do his thing, watching Kawhi Leonard absolutely go like full Inferno, man. That guy, every time he puts the ball in the air, like is going in the hoop. It's crazy, right? Watching PG, I I was curious about this. I was watching PG and I was like, PG is like a wing version of Dame right now. I mean, he's (laughs) like, he's got some Lillard in just the way he moves, which I think actually in some ways makes him not a great tandem with a guy like Kawhi leonard because he's just such a jump shooter which again not like dame is exclusively a jump shooter neither is pg but they both are much more dangerous because of their range because of the way they move and cut and catch the ball and then and then obviously hit jumpers um but watching you know both pg and Kawhi really show up i think they're shooting like they're both shooting like the mid 60s and averaging like 28 and 35 a game. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. Right. And so that series is going to be really fascinating to come down. I mean, if Lucas hurt, it's like, over. Yes, you know, yes, talking yes. about a roster constructed around a single player. I mean, the Mavs are absolutely barbecue chicken. If they can't get Luca going full, steam ahead. Yeah, full steam ahead is the key
0: because uh, I don't think 85% will do it. I think he's got to be, he's got to be close to a hundred percent. And I don't know how bad the injury is. Um, because it just feels like if, if George and choir are going to continue at that level and and do what they're doing, that they just have, even if Luca is a hundred percent, it's going to be really hard for them to win. I mean, they were down 30 to 11 in game three. And then I think they were either tied or up. They were up at halftime.
1: And then they just, you I, they know, were down two to, at the end of the first quarter. Was I mean, they it were that 30-11 in the first quarter, and they came back. I think it was 44-42 at the quarter. Yeah,
0: so it, it almost feels like they had a chance to kind of step on their neck in game three and really put them on the brink And since they have new life now. And the, there's a significant talent gap there. And, I mean, we talk about I don't think Luke is going to – he wouldn't wear down if he's 100%, but the fact that he's uh, there's some some issues there and he may not be himself, I I feel like we might see the the Clippers kind of stay on just cruise control here and, and win in six. But I'd like to be wrong because it'd be fun to see the Mavs uh, make it a great series. But,
1: Well, and the problem with that series to me is that the Mavs just don't have the horses to defend in any way, shape, or form. And we hit this about six weeks ago. But, I mean, the fact that the Porzingis deal... Is basically known as the ha- as the Tim Hardaway deal at this point is like a really telling <laughs> and disappointing sign, right? I mean, the Porzingis, I mean, and the problem is is I think he has four or five years left on like a max contract. I mean, he's just an absolute tire fire out yeah. there. He can't move no. defensively. He's so he's so lethargic. I mean, all he wants to do is shoot threes and hit turnaround post ups, and like he's not particularly efficient in the post uh, when he's doing that. And so it's really challenging because then all of a sudden then you just have Luca around a bunch of, like, shooting role players, which, again, is like a a thing that works when Doncic is supernova. But but the problem is is you have to rely on just outscoring the world because, again, they can't stop anyone. I mean, that's such a – again, that's what's such a challenging deal with Porzingis is he stands there, but the way the Clippers are playing, kind of going five out, spread, kind of pick and roll – and you have Kawhi and PG attacking. I mean, you just find Porzingis in space, and if he's on the help side, he can't get there in any way or shape or form to really kind of alter shots and protect the rim. I mean, and so at a certain point, you're like, "Why is he even playing?" I and mean, then you remember he has like a five-year max contract that starts next season, so that's why he's playing, right? But it's like they even—I they, mean, they—they they put in Boban Marjanovic in the middle of the first—the <laughs> fan the favorite first quarter, fan favorite <laughs> Boban, four it's points like, right out of the gate too mix mix up the like the rotations because basically they couldn't go small with the clippers so they just went super big and dared them to stay small and it actually worked i mean they <laughs> they brought in Zubac as a result of Boban coming in and then Doncic just went at Zubac two times in a row so actually the strategy worked like Carlisle pulled it off yeah. but he's clearly like fighting he's fighting a war shorthanded right now and especially if Doncic can't turn his head to the left I mean that's a pretty big issue for like a world class passer.
0: You're you're right with Bob. But any any player who is nine feet tall and 375 pounds can bring something to the table. Absolutely. This feels a little bit like Jordan pre Pippin and pre Horace Grant with the caliber of talent Jordan had early in his career
1: with the Bulls. Oh you know? wow, that is that's I kind of like that. I think you. I mean, I'm not sure Doncic is going to turn into Jordan, but. I mean, he does seem like one of the one of the few dudes in the league right now that has the chance to sort of join that echelon. Obviously, defensively, he has some limitations compared to them, but um, he does seem like maybe one of the only guys that could potentially get there. I mean, he's just so off. He's such an offensive savant, whether it's I mean, all three levels you know, screaming at Patrick Beverly that he's too small. Uh, and, you know, he's just he just got it all. He does. But at the same time, his, his defense, I mean, his team's defense is just, again, it's a sieve. I mean, I swear, I think at one point Leonard had like 22 points on nine of nine shooting. I mean, it was just sort of like, what do you get? I, I mean, that's not a recipe for winning. Um,
0: There's one thing that we can't let Luca fully off the hook on this one, which is his free throw shooting. It's resurfaces an issue. It feels like early on he was, I don't know if he's was his rookie or second year, but I think he was below or around 70%. And just, he would have streaks where he, it seemed like he was not doing well mentally on the free throw line. And it doesn't seem like there's any reason why he would not be a good free throw shooter, because obviously he's not just three point shooter, but consistently is a good outside shooter. Uh, but, the fact that he was, at one point, they said in game three, he was like 13 for 26 from the line in the series, and he was only shooting 50%. Uh, I don't think we're going to see a hack of Luka like we did with Haka Simmons, but there's it, it a little bit of a problem there
1: for him. No, it is. It is. There's a number of turning points in both games three and four uh, where he missed like both free throws or at least went one of two in situations where they're like down five, and he gets fouled, and they come away with an empty possession, and then the Clippers come down, and like Marcus Morris is hitting a three, and all of a sudden it's eight instead of it would have been three coming back down. I mean, those just those swings where you're hitting four, you know, you know, three, four, five, six points at a time, one way, one direction, and then the other. It's just it's a big problem, and I, and I I don't really understand it. I can't as a player, it just is so confusing to me that at times in this series, I think he's been shooting higher percentage on like contested three pointers than he has from the free throws free throw line. Like I it just, it's almost like he's like really tired and just loses focus at it. It's like you when you're playing golf yeah. and you, you stripe a couple good shots and you're feeling the flow and you almost get like too relaxed. And, You know, you shank it or something like that. I, I I mean, that would never happen to a player like me. I I, most sort of focus and attentiveness, but I could understand, right, how somebody like Doncic could that could happen to him. So you
0: don't think there's a mental hurdle there? You think it's more of a lack of concentration as opposed to a psychological block, like Draymond going for the six-foot floater, as we talked about. Draymond is (laughs) is very confident in several areas, particularly on the defensive end. Or when it comes to distributing the ball, he has no self-doubt whatsoever. But when you put him into uh, an area where he has not always thrived, right? Our uh, brain sticks with those memories, good or bad. We, our, our confidence level can uh, is dictated by our past experiences sometimes, you know. Not not everyone can be Rolando Blackman and yell out confidence on the free throw line, you know. uh, uh <laughs> Maybe that's the maybe that's the free throw coach he needs that whole that's a reference
1: to again the uh, I see a big German where (laughs) no it's it certainly I mean that's a no I don't I think it is a focus thing to be honest I mean I think he just exerts so much stinking effort on every offensive possession I mean even on possessions where he passes it right whether he like they go early post to or they swing to a guy like Hardaway or, or any of these other sort of, you know, many sidekicks, he's constantly working to get the ball back. I mean, it's a really interesting dynamic as a superstar, especially when I'm just sort of conditioned to watch players like at least old Harden, where you sort of pass and just stand. I mean, he really did like, he would work. I mean, he would kick it ahead at like 20 in the shot clock and try to get it back with like 12. Right. I mean, so That level of effort on all these offensive possessions, that level of focus. I mean, and he's got this savant nature where he's constantly moving and finding the best options, whether it's kicking to the corner. I mean, he'll go up and kind of you're fully expecting him to shoot it at like 12 feet. And then he like throws a backwards bounce pass off of a shot. Like it's a really (laughs) weird. He has all these weird moves that are like totally awesome and really creates an advantage for them as a team. And so then he gets to the free throw line. And I just think he just takes a break, but you know for whatever reason his mechanics aren't in a place where he can kind of mm-hmm. relax enough. Yeah, that's and a, and good, it. sort of all falls apart. That's a
0: good point. Is there's kind of that that balance there of, it's it's one thing to say oh it's pressure, but it's it, is if there's some kind of flaw there, then just the fact that he's feeling fatigued, and then uh, and then the, there's some some issue with his mechanics. And of course we talked about last week. There, there's always the analysis by paralysis too so it could it could morph into a mental issue if it's not but oh, kind of certainly. an inter- I mean, interesting thing to keep impossible. an eye on yeah so,
1: is there more
0: is there a more um, fun player to
1: watch though than luca i mean it... well that's what's so funny about this series is as Doncic gets talked about in this way where everyone's sort of fawning over him and i think meanwhile Kawhi Leonard is either having like an as good or or arguably better series, at least on a complete level from offensive and defensive perspective, if you couple in all four games, um, and and I think the way those two players get talked about are very different. I mean, obviously, I think guys are coming around a bit more in Kawhi's performance thus far, um, but Doncic is is, is certainly. I just a joy to watch. Yeah. I mean, you, you're to answer your question. Like, yes, he's like the best. I mean, him and Curry this year for me have been the two guys that are just so fun, especially if Doncic is not bitching at the refs, like every other <laughs> play, which he's been doing a little bit less in the playoffs. Can't get another uh, one, right? At least since he got that 15th technical. And so it's just fascinating to watch like the, the styles and contrast. Cause you know, again, Kawhi is so skilled, but he's still a bit of a brute force player, right? He just sort of gets to his spot and makes his shots. Um, you know, he takes those two kind of power dribbles and just pulls up at like 12 feet and sort of flips it in. Right. He just, you know, it is like a spin drop step and, you know, puts the ball in the bucket. Right. He just sort of gets to his one spot and pulls up for a three. I mean, it's all these different mechanical moves because he's a robot. Right. And he just sort of is so, but he's so good at it. Whereas like Doncic is cerebral in a way that you haven't seen. I mean, I didn't really grow up with magic, but the way magic and bird were sort of talked about, he sort of plays like those guys where you just sort of, you see the flow and you see the moves he makes. And again, some of these passes he makes are just are ridiculous. And you're like, Oh, Maxi Kleba's is going to get like 60 million bucks at his next contract. Cause he just, all he has is a diet of wide open threes from Doncic, just chucking them to him.
0: Yeah. I mean, just the, the feel for the game, those guys you mentioned, that's the very elite of the elite. Um, I think you can see that with, with LeBron too, just that, and LeBron obviously does so many things, so I won't won't give LeBron any more time here than we we always give him because he's amazing. But um, that and and you see with the Joker too is just that incredible feel. So there's not only just effectiveness, but the entertainment value that guys certain guys bring. But I, I can't argue the point that when Kawhi is at his best in terms of effectiveness, um, there's there's no one better. Or he's, you can't get much better than him, I would say, when he's playing like this.
1: Um. I mean, it's certainly, he's just dominating the game in a way that, I mean, I think he started last, I think he started game four with like multiple drives to the rim for lands. He hit a three, and then on defensively, I think he had like a back steal on a Porzingas post up. I think he blocked, I think either. I don't think it was Doncic, but it was like one of the other sort of like Doncic kind of driving to the rim, and he just like swatted him and like took it out of his hands. I mean, he's just he was changing the game at like both ends of the floor in a way that there's not very many guys do, right? I mean, outside of getting like kind of motivated LeBron, you don't really have a lot of guys that do that. And Kawhi, it, I wasn't sure he had it in him. I think particularly since that run to the finals with the Raptors where he was really even then sort of load managing a bit, just seemed like he might always be a guy on a gimpy wheel uh, with the bad knee. But it it seems like he's really turned up. It seems like something happened in that, you know, that dynamic with the Clippers where he just sort of decided to just sort of take over. And it's allowed PG to sort of play his role and do his thing and be really great at it too. And then you have sort of the Nick Batum sort of I'm at center and I'm going to do my little, you know, mini draymond inv- you know I- impersonation you know French draymond the real <laughs> french draymond <laughs> but um so I don't know i i i'm i it's hard i'm hard pressed to be convinced that the clippers aren't gonna take this in six if yeah in, at worst seven um especially if if Doncic is hurt it's like most definitely six they don't have a sh- they don't have a sh- a shot uh but um is that where you're kind of leaning for that space? yeah do you
0: think Carlisle should uh you know rest luca just concede game five see if we can get him back to a hundred percent for game six and uh, take that angle i, I kind of say that tongue-in-cheek because i know monte williams was the original plan was to sit chris paul for game four until paul talked him out of that i don't know if you saw read that uh no that well,
1: that's okay so it's funny you bring this up i mean you know the dynamics in the league there's an interesting new yorker article recently um about rich paul and some of the stuff that happened with anthony davis in their trade and, and there's some anonymous sort of reporting around the dynamics with the player empowerment area era and there's some belly aching and some complaining and i, I don't know i'm of the mind dream that's like tough luck you built it now you gotta sleep in your bed right uh but it is interesting some of these teams like with players like paul And now Doncic, does the team have, does the coach have the authority, the power to sort of tell these guys, hey, you're not playing? Like, I don't, these guys, I mean, obviously the the Jazz did it with Donovan Mitchell, but Donovan Mitchell's at a little bit of a different echelon than Luka Doncic and Chris Paul is. Uh, You know, I'm interested to see, I mean, obviously... Paul knows himself. He had a good game four, but I, I mean, I'm not sure why they weren't having that conversation in game two and game three. I mean, he looked like he was totally (laughs) crippled. Good point. I mean, and it's the same way with Doncic. Game four, that it was clear in the middle of the third quarter that that game was over. Like it was, it was gone, done. Like turn out the lights. And for whatever reason, Don just played another, like, 20 minutes in that mm-hmm. game. He played the rest of the third quarter, and then he played – then he was out for a while, and then he came back with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, and he played, like, the rest of the game. And I kind of was sitting there, and I was like, what is what is going on here? I mean, you're clearly in serious pain. You're down 22. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Clippers were shooting the crap out of the ball, and your team is like a tire fire in terms of the, your own shooting. Like, it's just not going to happen. Not your night. Fight to live another day and see if you can feel better and save yourself 20 minutes of game time playing, right? And instead, he just kept playing. And you just sort of wonder is that the wisest choice? Is that a 22 year old Luka Doncic sort of making these choices himself? You think he's maybe overriding
0: Carlisle, saying, no, we're going to take that. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Like, is there an adult in the room that can say it? I mean, Carlisle, of any of the coaches, seems like a guy who could potentially do it, right? I mean, he's got a championship under his belt, he's got sort of the history and. You know, in some ways he kind of, you know, he coached Dirk for a long time and you kind of expect that that translates in some ways. But again, you just wonder, like, what's going on there and, and why isn't that a thing that happens? I mean, yeah. I'm just skeptical that these any of these players would choose to be wise in that way if that is the most wise outcome. If it does matter, a couple extra days would get you better. I mean, right, if you had mostly full strength Doncic for six and seven, you'd probably do it, right? Uh, but... Who knows? I tell you, Michael, Stan Van Gundy
0: would never stand for that. Uh, he would make that final call, and that would be that would be it. If Zion ever tries to pull that, if Stan's still around in the next couple of years, uh, <laughs> but I will say, I mean, Mon- I'm not sure he's going to have the chance to make that decision next year. My friend. tragically, he may not. But I mean, Monty and Chris Paul—it seems like they have this like special relationship too, where there is kind of like this a buddy buddy, and not in necessarily a bad way. I think. Part of that is Paul is like, I'm going to, I will give everything I have to fight for this guy because he has so much respect for Monty Williams too. But I kind of, I preface it that way to wonder if even Monty, that could be a little bit of a tactic of like, almost put put Paul in that moment of like, I'm going to sit you. And then as a way to be like, all right, you got to get out there and prove to me that you're going to be as good as we, effective as we need you to be. And I think the conversation actually went because, because Paul talked about this and he basically said, he said, if I in the first quarter or whatever, if I'm not looking good enough, if I am hurting us, just take me out of the game. And he's like, anybody can come up to me and say, like, you're hurting us here and I'm fine with that. So it's kind of like he did have to play the card of just give me a chance to prove that I can help us here and that I'm not going to hurt us, which he
1: did. Too, so to his credit. Yeah, yeah. I- that one will be – I mean, the, I think we're both leading Clippers for the 4-5 series. I mean, where do you find yourself in the 2-7 series? Do you feel like – obviously with AD potentially being out game five and potentially even more, you know, does LeBron have it in him to sort of man that ship to to a victory, having it be 2-2 two, two going back to Phoenix? Or do you, do you find Phoenix in the driver's seat now?
0: I mean, LeBron has it in him because it's hard to say he doesn't have it in him. I mean, I watched that guy with that inferior Cavs roster – with the, We remember the t- that one year where the, he still got him to the finals with the the weakest Cavaliers lineup. But I know that Eastern Conference wasn't so great either. But I don't want to rule it out. But I would be favoring the Suns at this point. Um, like just the fact that now they're they've got life again to steal one on the road. They did look. They've looked really good at times. Um, I feel without AD, if he's if he's not going to be back. Then I, I definitely like the Suns, especially who's gonna, who's gonna control Aiden down low, who's been been playing really well. Who who are you leaning toward? Oh,
1: oh I I I think I still find myself hard pressed to to not believe that LeBron can sort of govern that team to a, at least a win in the first round. I don't I don't know if I'd be that excited about them going forward, but. Who knows, right? I mean, they do play the winner of the Nuggets and the Blazers, which I, I would still take them even without AD to be sort of favored in that. I, the, the interesting thing about the Lakers is they're so damn good defensively, regardless of who's on the court. I mean, just Vogel and his system and their buy-in as a team and the collection of role players that seemingly really do give a crap about how they play defensively. I mean, that travels, right? They say defense travels. The you know It translates regardless of the personnel. And both when AD and LeBron were out, they still remained like a top echelon defensive team. And I think that really helps for a team when you're in this, when you're going through some of these challenges offensively. And so I I find myself leaning into what the Lakers have here down the stretch, especially I think if Paul was fully healthy, I wouldn't feel nearly as comfortable with that. Uh, but it does feel like a bit of the wild card is, is Aiden. Yeah, I mean, who would have known that Andre Drummond is sort of the biggest sort of catch in the buyout market would actually just make centers turn into Hakeem Olajuwon at every turn. Yeah,
0: I think like I said last
1: week, it just seems like Drummond, Drummond aged like five years since he joined the Lakers. But uh, I think it was the power of Stan Van Gundy really is what happened. <laughs> he, 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 he split from SVG. I mean, really, he just needs to go to New Orleans and, uh, and, get, his and, and get his powers yeah, back.
0: revitalized. All right, Michael, we, we do not have trivia to close this out tonight. Uh, as we get do to I get, uh,
1: is this like a, is this still like a, want a question? forfeit? <laughs> and so I win by default here? Or is that, oh, no, wait. I, I don't want points that way, my friend. Right, I, I know you want least, to earn them. I, I'm glad I showed up. I want it the right way. <laughs> Any final thoughts to send us off here? Long live Dame. Long live Dame and hopefully the Blazers can take one down tomorrow. Blazers. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.